Okay, so we are starting a brand new series today. Uh, as I was preparing this, I realized something over this week that I, um, I, I am incredibly nerdy, hence the glasses, I'm wearing them today, just to, just to kind of get in the spirit of it. But, uh, but I do love this. This is a brand new series called Truly Truly, which uh, will be continuing for, I don't know, five weeks or something like that. Um, but uh, it's, it's really exciting. Let me give you a bit of context for it, and then I'll, I'll jump into my talk, as it were. First of all, imagine going for a job interview at the most favorite company you've ever dreamed of working at. It might be Amex or Apple or Vineyard. Of course it would be. Um, imagine sitting in the waiting room of Google in the UK, the 2018 employee choice. The employees said that this was the best place to work. And you've heard about it, you've heard rumors about it, you've applied, you've been accepted for an interview, and you're sitting in that waiting room. And you can see, you know, there's other people sitting there, but you can see there's a door, and on the other side of the door is where the company exists. Now, you've heard rumors of what's on the other side of that door, and you're really excited. You just cannot wait to get a peek, to go behind that door. Everything inside of you is really nervous, but super excited about what there could be on the other side of that door. And then suddenly that door opens and your best friend walks out with a massive smile on their face. And you're like, they've been to the other side. <laughs> they've seen it. And so what do you do? You grab them, you t sit them down, and you ask them everything. What's it like? What's the boss like? What are the people like? What's the vibe? Tell me everything. What are the perks? What are the benefits? What is the development plan? Tell me everything is about that side. And they take a deep breath, and they say to you, truly, I say to you, Truly, I say to you, anything that they say after that is going to be the most magnificent, most important thing you've ever heard. Whatever follows that phrase is something you're hanging on to. What should I expect? Very truly, I say to you. You know, 26 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus starts with that phrase. The phrase literally means, I've been there. I've been on the other side. I know exactly what you need to know. I know exactly what is waiting for you. Listen very carefully to what I have to say. If you want the job, this is what you need to know. Very truly, John 5, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. And listen, it's much bigger than you even imagine, much bigger than the rumors. John, uh, John 1, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And do you want to know how to succeed in this place? How to succeed in this company? John 16, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. You see, these sayings aren't just important. They aren't even just true. The person saying them is saying them with first-hand knowledge, first-hand experience. They've seen it with their very own eyes. You see, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at these sayings in the Gospel of John. Very truly, or truly, truly, I say to you. And everything that follows those sentences is Jesus' first-hand experience of the other side and what that impacts and how that influences what we live in today. Pretty exciting, right? Okay, so on my, uh, I love this. I don't know how I ended up with this, but I think it's probably by far the best uh, passage out of all of the ones that have been given, okay? So um, John 14 let me just read it first of all, and then I'll tear it apart as best I can. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That is a magnificent promise, isn't it? And somehow, I'm going to try and take that apart. I'm literally going to try and do it in just two different sections, okay? Two different things. The purpose of our prayers and the wonder of his works. The purpose of our prayers and the wonder of his works. Let me jump in with the purpose of our prayers. Right off the bat, let me just clarify this. Jesus says who this is for. He says, whoever believes in me. This promise, this, these following words are for whoever believes in me. Any person who calls himself a Christian, anyone who believes in Jesus. This is not apostles or prophets or pastors. This is not those who have equip, um, completed the equipped classes. This is for absolutely anyone. Not for the spiritual or the mature, but this is normal Christianity. That phrase actually appears a number of times. Normal Christianity. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever calls himself a Christian can do whatever Jesus has been doing and ask for anything and he will do it. I mean, anything? That's a huge claim. And that's where our cynicism cynicism creeps in. You see, because immediately we think about the things that Jesus did. And without doing a survey in this room, I'm imagining the things that came to mind are the things that, like, he turned water into wine. Come on, we've all tried that. That's not worked so far, has it? Or the man healed the man crippled for 38 years. Or fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Walked on water? Who hasn't tried that? Come on, who has tried that? That's a better question. Come on. Who's tried it? Come on. Who's tried it? It's failed, hasn't it? Uh, or raised Lazarus from the dead, and after, four, after just four days in the grave. Those, that's where our mind goes. You see, we say we haven't done any of those things, right? But when Jesus says, you will do what he has been doing, this isn't hyperbole. This isn't an exaggeration. Twice he says it. He's really making a point. You'll do anything that you ask for in my name. You see, we see healing every single week here when we pray for the sick. And we, um, you know, we've even heard stories recently of the dead being raised. These are possible. And miracles, I love this, miracles are totally possible. And now, a couple of years ago, we, a group of us went to India. And, and about a year later, someone told me something, Simon. He basically organized all, these, all of these uh, colleagues of his to just get together some teddy bears that we could take with us. He got about 50, 60 or so. So we got 50, 60. We came to church. We unloaded them, put them in different suitcases. And it, it was a bit weird. It was like, yeah, they fit in two suitcases. And now they filled up like more suitcases than we thought. We got to India. We had this time when we had 120 kids, I think it was. And we were a bit nervous, having 56 teddy bears. And we started handing them out one by one by one by one by one. And we got through. And every single 120 of the kids had a teddy bear. And there were teddy bears left. Isn't that weird? Isn't that miraculous? I mean, it took him a year for him to process that and finally tell me. Because it blew his mind. And it blew my mind when I heard about it. Now, the bizarrest thing about that whole scenario is, um, is we didn't actually pray about it at all. It wasn't a prayer. We literally just turned up, did you know, our thing. You know, we're trying to be a blessing. And we didn't ask God to multiply those teddy bears or whatever it was. He just did it. He did the miraculous. You see, in fact, if you look at prayers in Scripture, they're rarely for things. They're rarely for miracles or for power or for blessing. Those in the New Testament already knew they had authority and power in heaven as on a, and, and on earth. As Jesus told him, they had no doubts that they had all the power and authority. They didn't need to ask for it. So what did they ask for? You know, Jesus said, if you, um, you, whatever you ask, 
And, you know, for me, depending on what I'm facing, I'll ask for either success in a, in a situation or, or comfort if I'm feeling really low. That's generally my, my go-to for prayer, for, for a job, for help, for a project, for whatever it is. I'm basically saying to myself that the purpose of prayer is to get God to see me and help me. You see, prayer becomes the kind of divine customer service desk, right? You know, God, can't you see what I'm going through? Isn't this really annoying? Don't you think you should do something about it? And that's how, we, that's how I, and that's how I'm sure some of you approach prayer. So if prayers aren't for things, what are they for? You see, the apostles would often pray that they would see, that they would know God more. In Ephesians 1, it says this. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling. Or Ephesians 3, I pray that you might know the love of God. Or in Colossians 1, it says this, and I love this. We continually ask God to fill you, ask, pray, God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you might live a life worthy to the, God, to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, growing, growing in the knowledge of God. See, that's often the prayers that are prayed in the New Testament. You see, the purpose of prayer is not to get God to see you, the purpose of prayer is for you to see God. You see the difference there? The purpose of prayer is not God to see you and to jump into your situation. The purpose of prayer is whatever you're going through, whatever situation, for you to see God. You see, the greater the knowledge of God, you know, we get this knowledge from God or about God from reading the Bible. We get it from walking with him. We get it from talking with other people. It, there's lots of ways that we can grow in our understanding, our knowledge, our awareness of God. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever paused and just prayed, God, show me your face? And I mean just literally just put five, ten minutes aside and say, God, just show me your face. What do you think it looks like? As in, what do you think God's expression is towards you? What kind of face is he pulling towards you? You see, I, I came across this passage in Job that absolutely caught me. It was one of those things I was reading for daily reading and made some notes and I thought, oh, that's nice. And I went away and I thought I'd probably forget it, right, honestly. But it just stuck in my mind so much. And there's something incredibly powerful about it. It's in Job 16. And it says this, you know, uh, you've, you've got a couple of friends coming up and surrounding Job and trying to offer him advice as to why he's going through a really bad situation. And Job is listening to them, but they're basically saying, you're a sinner, you've messed up, you need to ask for forgiveness, you should have done this. It's basically pretty horrible stuff. And I love how Job starts this in Job, in Job 16. You are miserable comforters. <laughs> All of you. I love that. Will your long-winded speeches never end? I mean, I could also speak like you. Don't you think I could do what you're doing? If you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you. I could shake my head at you. I could do all of that. But do you know what? Do you know the difference? And this is in Job 16. It says, but my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. You see the difference? And the thing that caught me about that is that's how God is for me. See, God could look at my life and he could shake his head. And he could look down on me, and he could make me feel pretty terrible, and there's some long-winded speeches he could give me. But you know, the wonderful thing about God is exactly what it says in that, in that um, verse. He doesn't do that. He looks at me. His words bring me comfort. His, his words bring me relief. 
His face towards me is not one that's condemning me and shaking his head at me. It's one that looks at us and says, it's okay. I'm here. I've got you. Let me help you through that. You probably wasn't the best thing you could have done. But let me help you through that. You see, you say, but you don't know what I've done. You know, you don't know what the kind of things I've got up to and I probably shouldn't have treated that person that way or took that drug or looked at that thing I shouldn't have, but I did it anyway, repeatedly. It wasn't even by accident. If you saw what I have done, you wouldn't be looking so kindly at me. But he says, no. I'm looking at you because I love you. I'm looking at you because I care. I'm not taking my eyes off you because I'm not disgusted by you. You're my precious son, my precious daughter. I love you. Let me help you. I love it when Jesus came to deal with sin and he dealt with all that condemned us. Here it says in uh, uh, Romans 8.1 that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In, in Colossians it says he nailed it to the cross once and for all. It has been dealt with. There is nothing that can shake him or shock him or disturb him about us. He just loves us. Now, if I had messed up so many times and I was relying on a fridge magnet to get me through this, I would have given up a long, long time ago. But you know what? Over the years, I've seen his tenderness. I've felt his mercy. I've felt his love, his acceptance, even when I thought I was unacceptable. And it's that that has kept me going with him, for him, for so many years. And I imagine it's the thing that keeps us going. You know, to see his face is a powerful thing. I went out for a beer with um, one of our leaders recently. And, uh, and we were just talking, just finding out how they were doing and how he was doing. And, uh, you know, I asked the question, just how are you doing with God? It's not meant to be a judgmental question, but it's really just to find out how he's doing. And he said, you know, honestly, I've been through a lot recently and I've really struggled with this and I don't think I've read my Bible for a long time. I haven't prayed. I've really struggled. And of course, his, uh, his expectation would be, my answer would be, come on, we need to read the Bible. Let's do it now or let's pray or let's, whatever it is. And I just had this come into my mind. I said, do you mind if we just pause for a second? Just close your eyes. Just try and see God's face. What expression does he have on you, for you? And so he paused. People in the pub kept on walking past. And he said, I don't see it. I just, I can't see it. I said, okay, just pause for a little bit longer. There's no rush. Okay, let's, let's just picture this. You've got a couple of kids, young kids. When you get home and they come running up to you or crawling up to you, what do you, what's your face to them? As a father, what's your face to them? And it took him a few moments and then suddenly this massive smile appeared on his face. And he says, I see it. I see the father's face. I see the Father's delight in me. I see the Father's love for me. See, he caught a glimpse of his Father's love for him. And you know that actually physically changed his countenance. As he felt it, he saw it, and he reflected it. You can't help it, can you? If, someone, if you try and argue with someone and they just smile at you, it's frustratingly annoying. Um, you know, I wasn't going to say this, but this is funny. Um, very early on in marriage, and me and Tara were arguing about something, as, as we all do. Let's not just be pretending I'm the only one that argues. And, um, and I can't remember what it was about, but I just remember sitting there going, we can't do this anymore. We can't carry on arguing like this. And so I was thinking about it, saying, well, you know, divorce is an option. So we've got to put, you know, she was arguing still. I was still talking to myself, basically. Um, and I said, we can't do this. We've got to, we can't divorce. We're going to have to stay together. We're going to have to figure this out. And so suddenly this thought came into my mind. 
I was like, well, if I can't leave her, then we're going to have to make this work. And so we carried on arguing, and then I suddenly looked at her. I said, just going to pause you for a second. I might be reading this moment wrong, but are we about to kiss? <laughs> and I smiled. <laughs> now, it could have been hit or miss. It could have ended up really badly. <laughs> but she smiled back at me. Because she smiled back at me because she saw my face. If you have an argument in the morning, you leave the house, you argue, you, you leave tense. But if you see God's smile on your face first thing in the morning, if you just pause and look at it and just see his delight in you, see his wonder in you, see his love for you, you can go into a dark, dark world and you can be around people that are negative all the time. But if you start from a place of a smile, you smile. And that smile is contagious. It's so contagious. And that's what makes us different. That's why people come into this place going, you guys are so nice, you're so friendly, you're so lovely. It's because we've caught the smile of God and we're reflecting it back. That's all we're doing. We're not making this up from the inside. This is God himself. You know, don't we pray about this every single week at the end of the service? The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you his peace. That's all we're doing is we're looking at his face. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to show us God's face. He came to show us what God is like. He showed kindness to the promiscuous woman at the well. He protected the woman caught in adultery. He forgave those who were nailing him to the cross. He reflected God's love in those moments. In amazing ways. That's what God's really like. And that's the work of Jesus, as it goes on to say. The work of Jesus is that he looked to the Father and reflected him. Now, if you really know me, and this was on the wonder of his works, if you really know me, verse 7, then you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus replied, oh, Philip, you idiot. I give up. No, he didn't say that. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Realizing words aren't enough, Jesus carries on and he adds this one other comment. He says, believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You see, everything that Jesus did was about reflecting the Father. If my words are still leaving doubts in your mind, he says, just look at who I am, look at what I do, look at my works, and you'll see what the Father is like. All Jesus did, all his works, are to show the Father. Very truly, I tell you, I've seen it with my own eyes, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Whoever believes in Jesus will be able to do the work of Jesus to show the Father. Quick story, interesting enough, I um, you know, joined the church, loved Jesus, loved Alpha, went to that, and about two, three years on, I ended up leading the Alpha course, which I thought was ridiculous, because I'd hardly opened the Bible at all by that point, and I didn't know anything, I thought, in theological sense or term sense, but I did know and love Jesus so much that I was willing to do whatever it took to make him known. And over years with an amazing team, I must add, you know, we ended up seeing hundreds, at least 400 people come through Alpha and come to know Jesus. 
And that wasn't because I'd learned lots of information. That wasn't because I'd, I'd been around the block and all this other stuff. I literally had become a Christian at 21, and I really knew very little other than Jesus' love for me. And everything I did, every work that I did, was just about showing his love for other people. We would get to do the works of Jesus. We would get to reflect the Father. And even further, this is crazy, and they, all believers, the church, not one person, everyone, will do even greater things than these, in fact, we'll be able to do even greater things than Jesus. That is, that's almost heresy if it wasn't in the Bible. It is possible to do even more amazing miracles than he did. Now, greater not because they're more amazing, but because they're greater in number. You see, the first verse of Acts starts with Luke saying that his gospel was all that Jesus began to do and teach, began to do and teach, implying that the book of Acts the early church and forevermore the entire history will be about the continuation of what Jesus started. I love how Spurgeon puts this. This is amazing. Now that he, Jesus, has gone up on high, he does greater wonders by his servants than he himself probably did. For he said to a few poor fishermen, go and break up the Roman Empire. And they did it. <laughs> Just like that. They preached the gospel, and the gods of the heathen that sat on their thrones for ages were cast to the moles and the bats, and there are greater victories yet before the church of God. Isn't that amazing? You see, when the church is awake, when the church is facing God and reflecting him, we've seen it abolish slavery, introduce free education, condemn racism, build hospitals, form orphanages, and so much more that has radically, without any exaggeration, changed the entire face of this planet. All simply by reflecting the Father's love for his children, the church can do greater things than Jesus was ever able to do in his time here on earth. I'll give you a couple of examples. There's a book called Sit, Walk, Stand by Watchman Nee, and I love the uh, story right towards the end of the book. See, he went with a, a few guys preaching off an island off the South China coast, uh, and he was preaching for days with very little response. And then Brother Wu called out to the crowds. He said, why are you not responding? I love that. That's fantastic. Come on! Re <laughs> repent and believe. And they replied, well, frankly, we have Tawang. And... So far, he's been quite an effective God. 286 years in a row, and there's no rain on the day of his sacrifice. Well, Brother Wu, reflecting God's passion for these people, passion for the lost, said the rain will come, and then they will left the stage. Now, in the moment, that was obviously the right thing to say. Obviously, the weeks following that were quite nerve-wracking, especially on the very day of the sacrifice, that one day a year, 286 years, no rain. And they woke up in the morning, Beautiful, clear skies, no, road, no clouds whatsoever. So the house was very quiet, as you can imagine. Not a sign. And they all just wandered around, feeling a bit lost, just praying, just asking God, you know, to make himself known. Went down, had breakfast, and suddenly they had the sound, a little pitter-patter. And a little pitter-patter turned into a little bit more of a constant. And before they realized, it was the storms had opened and it had just flooding down. The rain had come. Why did I say that? Jesus calmed a storm and stopped the enemy from hurting 12 men. Brother Wu called for rain and destroyed a 286-year-old God and rescued thousands from eternal damnation. He will do greater things than Jesus was able to do. Jesus made lunch for 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, which is pretty amazing. Do you know, in feed, we give a bag of food, which has about 10 meals, 
maybe to about 50 to 100 people a week, every week for the year. We've probably fed or made about 50,000 meals this year. I love those one-off lunches. Those are amazing. But 50,000 meals. We will do greater things than Jesus did. Whoever believes in God will do even greater works than Jesus. We can show the Father in so many places, in many ways, for more people than Jesus could ever do by himself. Now believe me when I say, as the scripture says, anything is possible. Verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Church, what are we praying for? What are we praying for? What, what way are we asking for God to show himself and do an amazing thing, more amazing than we can ever imagine? What work, what opportunity are we asking God for to show himself to a hurting world? You know, Jesus changed water into wine and saved one wedding. In Song of Songs, chapter 8, it says, I would give you spiced wine to drink the nectar of my pomegranates, which I'm fairly sure is a biblical euphemism. I'm fairly, <laughs> but what if we were to know God's heart for watered-down marriages so that we could help couples drink of the wine of each other's love? You know, I know one couple in this church that had completely and utterly separated and saw no hope of getting back together. The woman moved far away from this place, but over prayer and over time and a number of different helps, you know, they are now back together as a family with their young child. Because we showed them God's love for their marriage and we showed them the beautiful wine that they could drink between them. Jesus turned water into wine to save one wedding. Imagine if we could save an entire city of broken marriages. Anything is possible. Jesus said, let the children come to me. What if we were to reflect God's face and inspire an entire community to foster and adopt so that there would be no child without a home in this community? Jesus walked on water in the midst of a storm. What if we were to help create a safe passage for all those millions of refugees fleeing in the midst of war? What are we asking for? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What if we were to ask that he would make himself known through a mighty move of God and revive an entire nation? Anything is possible if we commit ourselves to ask for it. I will do anything you ask. I will do anything you ask. What are we asking for? Can the band come back up, please? Let me give you one example as we close this. And there's a number of things that I'm praying for personally, and there's one thing in particular that really struck me this week. We've been looking at our youth and, their, um, uh, and just the amazing things they're up to. But one of the things they, they do is worship. And they don't do worship themselves at this moment. What they do is they join Ventureland for one week. And that's, uh, if you've heard that, I mean, that's amazing. It's pretty upbeat, it's pretty excited. And then they're in here for three weeks. But the thing is, these are a bunch of youth who don't want to go backwards. They don't want to go back to Ventureland, as amazing as they are. They want to grow up. But at the same time, this is a big move forward for them to come and enjoy these guys and worship in this place. And so I've been thinking about this and praying about this and saying, God, would you show your face? Would you show these guys how to worship? And as I think about that, if I, if I think they can't go back and they can't go forward, 
that means somewhere inside of these guys, there's a brand new sound waiting to, waiting to come out. A brand new sound waiting to rise up from our youth. My question, my prayer, isn't for that sound to come up, because that's there. That power and authority is there. My question is, who's going to show them what God is really like? To give them something worth singing about. And so my prayer, actually, at the moment, is, simply put, for more people who would commit themselves to come alongside these youth. Whether it's on Sundays or in the evenings, whether it's just relational, and the kids as well, not just the youth, but the kids. That's my prayer at the moment, is God, would you make yourself known to these guys that they have something worth singing about? What's your prayer? I mean, that's not a huge prayer, but it's an important one. What are you praying about? Would you guys mind standing? Anything is possible. Just ask, and I will do it. So Father, may we just pause for a moment before we jump into worship. Lord, would you show us your face? Would you show us your face? Some people here, you've been living under condemnation, you've been doing things, and you've been struggling, and you've been almost running away from God because you think his face towards you is one that's just waiting to have a long lecture towards you. And this morning, I just want to break that. I want to say that's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy, actually. It's not even just something you've randomly believed. That's an absolute lie of the enemy trying to keep you away from God. And I say this morning, would you make a decision to come back to see him? To open your eyes to his face. Come for prayer, do it where you are, worship, whatever it is. But open your eyes because he loves you and his face upon you is so good, so tender and so gracious. And for those of you who know that already, what are you asking for? What are you asking for, church? Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this place. As we worship, Lord God, would you show your face? Would you drop those little seeds in our hearts and inspire us to dream big and imagine what only God can do? I ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.